Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast. In this special episode, we're going to feature an interview with Dr. Joe Ebley, Dr. Stacy Tresenkos, and Bishop Joseph Strickland on the topic of brain death, and in particular, what it means for someone to be brain dead versus actually dead, and what the implications of that are for organ donation. Please enjoy this interview. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Joe Ebley and Dr. Stacy Tresenkos to this podcast that we host here at the St. Philip Institute. I'm Bishop Joseph Strickland, the Bishop of the Diocese of Tyler, and the founder and president of the St. Philip Institute, doing great work to Share the truth of Jesus Christ, a joyful message that we need to just continue to share, bringing his light to a culture that very often turns away and doesn't want to see that light because it challenges us, but um, it ultimately brings us joy and fulfillment to live in the light of Jesus Christ. And Dr. Ebley, I appreciate your work in the field of the questions surrounding brain death uh, not exactly a light topic, not something that uh, people are probably even comfortable listening to or talking about, but it's about that truth of Jesus Christ. And I know that you are a man, a young man seeking truth. You are a, a doctor, Dr. Stacy, a doctor of chemistry and also uh, with a theology degree. So I think it's a great opportunity to have this conversation as part of our work here at the St. Philip Institute for Catechesis and Evangelization. It's really about teaching people what the truth of Jesus Christ means. So, Dr. Ebley, I, I guess I would ask you to just sort of introduce the topic, what, what brought you to these questions, and then we can uh, continue the conversation. Okay, sure. So what brought me to this was simply reading about it. Um, I started learning about brain death, its relationship to organ transplantation. Um, and as I read more and more about it, I learned that there were some things that didn't really make sense. Um, there were some things where the puzzle pieces didn't fit together. And I was concerned that brain dead patients aren't actually dead. And so just to sort of give your viewers an overview of what we're talking about here, let's start with the human person. The human person is the substantial union of body and soul. We have a material component, the body, and an immaterial component, the soul. The human person is a body-soul composite the soul 
is the principle of integration of the body. It holds the body together and allows it to function as a coherent whole. The soul is not limited to any particular member of the body, but is whole and entire in every part of the body. So what is death? Well, death is the moment that the soul leaves the body. But how can we know that the soul has left the body if the soul is immaterial, it's invisible? By the consequences of the soul's absence. When the soul leaves the body, the body begins to disintegrate, to decompose, because its principle of integration has left. And death manifests itself the same way in all warm-blooded mammals. So when I say, my pet dog died, it means the same thing as when I say, my uncle died. And we all know what dead animals look like. Now, in, in human beings, certain signs of death have been described. So the body cools to ambient temperature. It begins to stiffen, which is called rigor mortis. The blood drains from the surface capillaries into the deep veins, leaving the non-dependent skin gray and lifeless, and the dependent skin purplish-red. That's called liver mortis. And eventually, putrefaction sets in. Now, your viewers very likely have a driver's license. And when they got that driver's license, they were asked a question. Do you want to be an organ donor? Now, no one explained to them what that meant. But if they chose to become an organ donor, they likely thought something like this. If I'm dead, I won't need my organs anymore. And it would be a very good thing to give them to someone else. That would really help them. But the problem is, if you were truly dead, your organs would be decomposing. and They wouldn't be good for anyone else. And so what was needed was a new definition of death. And that is what we now call brain death. In 1968, the Harvard Medical School Ad Hoc Committee defined irreversible coma as a new criterion for death. Irreversible coma as a new criterion for death. Now your viewers can hear, that's an oxymoron, for to be in a coma is not to be dead, but to be alive. But this deeply comatose state is what we now call brain death. Now, brain dead patients are warm and pink. They have supple flesh. They have a heartbeat. They flush, sweat, and are capable of movement. Brain dead pregnant women gestate their children. Brain-dead children demonstrate proportionate physical growth and rarely sexual maturation. In other words, brain-dead patients look just like all the other patients in the ICU who are on ventilators, and they demonstrate persistent bodily integration. 
indicating the persistent presence of the soul. It's now widely accepted that brain-dead patients are biologically living organisms. And the question has shifted into the philosophical realm. Do they count as human persons? For us as Catholic Christians, I think the answer is certainly yes. Brain-dead patients are sick, and they are most often dying, but they are not dead, and we cannot end their lives so as to take their organs. So that's a good starting place mm -hmm. for sort of how I have come to this issue and to sort of lay the landscape for where we're at. Well, thank you, Dr. Ebley. I, I think that that very briefly but very clearly does lay out the issue. Um, and I can imagine, I know when I first heard you, you basically gave a very similar presentation at a conference that I was at in Austin early in this year. <laughs> and I can imagine the reaction similar, and um, I would imagine Dr. Stacy's reaction in, in looking at this, it's sort of where do we go from here? What, how do we really address this in, in a society where probably all three of us know people who have received organs from someone who was declared brain dead? And very often, you know, you see sometimes even in the news when it's a tragic situation and, and the, the family generously does this, um, and it, it really is shocking to, to really sort of begin addressing it the way you very clearly lay out that we need to address it is those who believe in the sanctity of life from conception to natural death. Um, that's the teaching of the church. And so let me just maybe yeah. ask Dr. Stacy to give her reaction uh, to what we've just heard from Dr. Eberly. Yeah, Doctor, I, I just really want to commend you on the very clear, concise explanation that anyone can follow, because what you're saying, you know, is harrowing. Um, it's making people stop and think, what have I done? What do I need to do now? And I just, I remember reading something. I want to add to what, what you said, because when I was writing about brain death myself, I, there was a doctor, the, the director for the Center of Bioethics at Harvard, Dr. Trogue, T-R-O-U-G, and, and he had actually gone so far as to argue for organ donation being the thing that kills the patient. He had acknowledged that the patient is still alive. So what you're saying is, is acknowledged by other professionals. The patient is still alive if he or she is brain dead, and he... he advanced to bioethics that said um, that it, it was okay to go ahead and kill the patient for organ donation if death is imminent. Um, and as far as the church has gotten on that issue is they, they leave the determination of death up to the medical professionals, but they insist, just as you did, Dr. Ibley, that there needs to be a, a disintegration, a lack of integration of the, the body, soul and um, body and soul. So it is harrowing, and, and I think we're hoping in this podcast to give people a little bit of direction on what to do next. Yeah. I, I, what you, Stacey, what you bring up 
is absolutely accurate, and that is that persons who do not share our Judeo-Christian values, mm -hmm. so a number of physicians, very good physicians, um, who do not share our Judeo-Christian values, have written quite vehemently that brain-dead patients are biologically alive. And what they say is that what we should do is just stop the charade and admit that they're not dead. Now, that scares people because what we're saying is, is we can kill people to take their organs. But in the defense of these physicians and scholars, nothing needs to change. We are simply being intellectually honest mm -hmm. about what we are already doing. And so our solution as Catholic Christians is very different than that of these physicians and scholars. But we all, from an intellectual honesty point of view, share the belief that brain-dead patients are alive. <laughs> and so I think that's the first thing, is that we have to acknowledge this. Now, I want to say up front, we must be very, very kind and compassionate about how we discuss this subject, because it is very sensitive. Mm -hmm. As Bishop Strickland said, many people listening to this have either received an organ from a brain-dead patient, or know someone who received an organ from a brain-dead patient, or have consented to have their loved ones give their organs up to other people after they were declared brain dead. And so the goal of our discussion, to be very, very clear, is not to impugn anyone, not to say that anyone is a bad person, not to say that anyone has done something that they should be ashamed of, all right? That is not our goal. Our goal is to try and seek the truth, and, and as we as we approach the truth and as we seek the truth, we become more free, right? Because truth and freedom are linked. And so our goal here is simply to say, let's look at whether or not brain dead patients are truly dead. All the evidence suggests that they are not. Now, how can we deal with this in a pluralistic society? And I think a very good way, a very good approach to deal with it because some people will say, well, they're not dead, that's okay, let's take their organs anyway. I mean, we live in, we live in a society with many different viewpoints. But what we can do, what we absolutely can do, and we can do this at the state level, is provide informed consent mm -hmm. as to what exactly brain death is, how it is diagnosed, and what all that entails. So that's not currently being done. The other thing that we can do is we can provide an opt-out clause. So someone can reject being declared dead by brain death criteria for any reason, any biophilosophical reason, religious reason, scientific, whatever they choose. But to protect their right of conscience, people should have a right 
to be able to opt out of brain death criteria. So I, I think that the right approach is not to try and ban brain death per se. I think from a pragmatic point of view, that would be essentially impossible. But what we can do is give people information and allow them to make informed choices. And I think once people have the information, once they see what a brain dead patient looks like and that the brain death, emperor brain death has no clothes, so to speak, <laughs> they will realize that they do not want this for themselves or their loved ones. Yes, uh, Dr. Everly, again, you say it very well. And I think I, I do want to emphasize as a pastor, the, the way I would put it is this, what we are doing, what we're trying to raise the, a deeper level of the truth is for a better future, not looking to the past, because morally, all of us can only deal with the truth that we know. And so, as you said, no one should feel any guilt or in any way accused of anything because of what has been done up until this point, because people have to rely on the advice of doctors and the advice of, of pastors. That's why we need the truth. And then we can use that, as you said, to be freer to make the choices we feel obligated to make. Um, and so I think that that is the whole tone of, of our conversation in this podcast is seeking deeper truth and not just saying, oh, well, this person's brain dead, but really helping people really make their own decisions. You've helped me to know. Um, and I remember in the conference we went to, you had people look, pull out their wallet and mm -hmm. look at their driver's license. For what? Yeah. I mean, I can't say that it was for any real deeply held belief, but I guess I had enough uneasiness about the whole organ donor question that I didn't mark that on my driver's license. So I don't have to go and, and correct it. And I know the conversation in the group there was people saying, well, how do you go back and tell them, no, I don't want this on my license. I didn't have that problem because I never did opt in for that organ donor choice. And honestly, like I said, it wasn't some deeply held truth that I knew. It just was more instinct that I just said, no, I don't think so. And I can imagine people, I mean, it's something very private that I, I don't know that I've ever had a conversation about it with anyone, um, but I can imagine people saying, oh, well, that bishop, is, it was very selfish to not mm -hmm. open himself up to that organ donorship. But I think it maybe the grace of God, you know, helped me to pull back from that. But uh, we do need to emphasize again, I guess for the third time, that <laughs> no one should feel any guilt or any accusation, and we have to be very careful, as you said, for the future, for the better future that I would envision, for the people of the flock that I'm here to guide, they need to know a, a clearer truth and make their decisions. 
But I think it really does get into, as you said early on, it gets into philosophical issues about the value of the human person. And we hear things about quality of life. And that's a dangerous language because life has a quality because it comes from God. And God is the author of life in our teaching from conception to natural death. Really what comes to mind for me is all of the, the questions that have pretty well been scientifically answered, but philosophically, there are still those who believe that a, a newly conceived child isn't mm -hmm. a human person and so can be disposed of, can, can be aborted. Um, there are many people and th that whole issue, but really what occurs to me is at the very beginning of when that human person, when that body-soul composite comes into being, we as believers know by the, the creative grace of God for that individual, just like the three of us, just like every human person. Um, but those questions at the very beginning of life, we find the same questions arising at the very end of life. And they are the philosophical questions that we as believers need to answer for when when does the soul leave the body and yeah. it, those questions are, are really not scientific and it, it becomes challenging but it, it is woven into the whole question as believers if there's any doubt that the soul has departed the body we would say the person's still alive in this world right. And has not, as we say, kind of euphemistically, your uncle or my uncle passed away. Once they've passed away from the body, the soul, we know, is called to eternity. But um, that is where the philosophical, the, the spiritual, religious beliefs and the scientific beliefs have to be sorted out, the scientific truths. But... What you remind me of, Dr. Eberly, is that we're really not operating on scientific truth in this whole area, calling something death that isn't death. Mm -hmm. That's a falsehood that really is very harmful to the human community. Yeah. yeah. And, and one thing people struggle with, and I, I know you see this as a doctor, and I remember reading about it, People of goodwill do struggle with, well, what do you do then? Because if you have to wait for the body to be completely dead, then, then there aren't going to be organs to donate. And, and what do you do with that? I remember there's a story about a, a couple in South Africa who had a daughter, a young daughter, was in a car accident or something, and she was declared brain dead, but they had to wait so long to declare her actually dead by the rules and regulations that her organs were no longer usable. And the parents were devastated because they had hoped something good would come out of their loss. And I remember reading that, and it, it pushed me, and I think it helps a lot of people to think it through, all the way. The point of our children's, the point of our own lives, is not to be organ donors for someone else's life. The point of our life is to get to heaven. 
And, right. and, and I wanted to, you know, if you could go back in time and tell that couple, like that wasn't, your daughter's life did have some good come out of it. It doesn't depend on whether her organs got used or not, that they're, you're, you're kind of dismissing all the rest of, of her value by basing your hopes on that one thing in your tragedy. Our, our, uh, oh boy, I, I would like to, to echo what both of you have said, and it is very, very important what Bishop Strickland said. The human person can never lose their dignity. They can only be treated in an undignified way. We did not give ourselves our dignity. God gave us our dignity by making us in his image and likeness. And each of us is precious and we are not expendable. Amen. And so I, I oftentimes hear people say, I lost my dignity or that person lost their dignity when they were treated in such a such a way or had such and such a condition? And the answer is no. No, they didn't. Mm -hmm. Because they were made in the image and likeness of God. I told my four-year-old daughter that this morning, <laughs> that she has inherent dignity because she is made in the image and likeness of God. And it does not matter what she looks like, or what color her skin is, or how tall she is, or anything else. It doesn't matter what her IQ is. <laughs> she has tremendous dignity. Yeah, that's, and, a, that's a great point, Dr. Everly. Amen. And uh, that, as people of faith, I mean, the three of us, and that's my job. I mean, as you said, we live in a, a secular society where many people are never going to embrace the our belief about what you've just talked about, our dignity coming from being created in the image and likeness of God. Um, I would go just further with the, the what you're talking about with dignity, and that's where the brokenness of our world really flows from in so many ways. We are the greatest treasure in creation <laughs> because we are the godlike ones created by God to populate his creation in his image and likeness. And so as you're saying, we have to help people who know that and believe that to recognize the value and the, to talk about a, a quality of life that is diminished. We all know countless stories of people that would be measured as having a pretty diminished quality of life and they transform their families. Yeah. They witness in ways that are uplifting for total strangers. That's the kind of, of value and everlasting quality that is there as long as we are that body-mind composite of the person. The quality is always there until death. And making it very clear for believers when death occurs is is essential um and i know as both of you as scientists know better much better than i do but even pastorally i can tell you countless situations where an individual is maybe not even a brain death issue but it's presumed that their their quality of life has diminished so much is that they're they are done, that their life is over. And 
by the choice of family or whatever, they decide not to intervene and, and sort of hasten that end of life, which sadly happens a lot from our perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and in God's plan, going back to we come from God, we're called to return to God. In God's plan, I could tell you stories of beautiful things that happen <laughs> in the person's life in the family's life, long after the the medical world would say this person is has lost their life, really. So it it really is a complex issue that we hopefully can continue to just get the truth out. And as you've both pointed to, physicians that are not looking from the value of the human person as we are, but they're on the scientific truth side of just saying, let's, let's move to a future where this fa- fallacy of brain death is not even something we're addressing. Uh, it may take well beyond our lifetime, but all we can do is promote the clarity and the truth of exactly what's happening. Dr. Trisankos, I just want to address something briefly that you brought up. Well, what do we do if we can't get organs from brain-dead patients? And as you know, you can get some organs from living patients, certainly kidneys uh, and the liver being the most popular. Um, As you also know, there is the artificial mechanical heart, which is constantly being improved. And they've started to use xenotransplantations from animals, particularly pigs. There may be some hope in the future of using porcine organ transplants, although we have to look at the ethical, the ethical issues surrounding that. But I think ideally what we would do is take the morally objectionable option off the table, and then medicine will find a way to provide organs in a way that's ethically legitimate if we support it. But the problem is right now is that with a source of organs from brain dead patients, there is no financial impetus for medicine to seek morally legitimate ways to obtain organs. And so I think the first step is just to get that off the table and we get that off the table by telling people the truth. (laughs) And then people won't be organ donors anymore, and then medicine will have to find other ways. But it will find other ways, and it has has found other ways. And so I don't want people to get overly concerned that there's absolutely no alternative if we stop using brain death criteria, Mm -hmm. all right? There certainly are alternatives, and they are being explored, but if we had more money to do it, it would be very helpful. Well, I, I think we're pretty much out of time, Dr. Eberly, but I really appreciate your clarity and your commitment to sharing this truth, and hopefully we can continue doing this and cooperating, collaborating with each other. Uh, thank you, Dr. Stacy, for your participation, and, and let us pray that we can simply, in all the love of God and His grace, continue to share truth that helps us to be more free and more human in the human family. And I'd like to conclude with a a blessing for all of us. 
Almighty God, we ask your blessing for Dr. Everly, for Dr. Tresenkos, for the work of the St. Philip Institute here in the Diocese of Tyler. Help us to rejoice that you have created us in your image and likeness to know that we can grow in understanding the wondrous truth of your creation, of our lives, and of our call to share everlasting life with you. We ask your blessing for all of our families and all of those who are dear to us, and for all of those who will listen to this podcast. May it bring them to a deeper truth and in hope seeking the better ways to regard the sanctity of life, the life that always comes from your love. And we ask this blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.